0: Welcome to EPRI Unplugged, the podcast of the Electric Power Research Institute. I'm Amy Mills. In the nearly three years of EPRI's podcast, we've covered a wide variety of topics and technologies, ranging from electric vehicles to advanced fossil technologies to cybersecurity. But one area we haven't covered is technologies on the horizon that could have a meaningful impact on the energy industry. That changes today. In this episode, we are exploring the potential for Hyperloop's high-speed transportation in a tube. Sound futuristic? You might be surprised to know the concept has been around for more than 100 years, but advances in technology could bring Hyperloops to a city near you in the not-too-distant future. Here to talk more about it are Steve Stella, Emerging Technologies Advisor, and Watson Collins, Technical Executive in Electric Transportation. Gentlemen, thanks for joining me.
1: Thanks, Amy. We appreciate uh, the opportunity to be here.
2: Good afternoon.
0: Well, before we get into the hyperloop discussion, let's talk about why it's on our radar in the first place. This is one of many advanced concepts. EPRI's technology scouting program looks at, which Steve you have leadership of. What is the scope and purpose of scouting? What is scouting? Let's start there.
1: Yeah, scouting is is uh, is everything. Um, the the energy industry, as as many of the the podcast listeners will know, uh, is really in a, a significant time of of. You know, you could say disruption. Certainly, change. You know, change is really the the name of the game. Uh, there's a an exceptional amount of uh, development and um, emerging technologies that are coming to the forefront, increasingly being put in front of of customers, putting in front of uh, infrastructure um, uh, owners, and up and in, up into uh, utilities. So, uh, just really across the the board. Um, EPRI's uh, technology scouting program is is just as diverse. So we focus uh, across the energy sector. So whether that's new nuclear technologies looking 20, 30, 40, 50 years into the future, generation technologies, finding ways to, to make uh, existing uh, fossil plants cleaner and operate more uh, efficiently and, and flexibly. Um, certainly the the infrastructure, the transmission uh, and distribution grids, and that is, of course, uh there's some interesting corollaries there when we start to thinking about energy storage uh, and then certainly into the homes, into the businesses, into you know industrial type customers who are just inundated with uh, a wide variety of, of ways to make their lives easier, more efficient and potentially more complex. So uh, just trying to get a handle on, on what the industry looks like.
0: And why is it important to have some of these things in the pipeline?
1: Um, so, from an uh, from EPRI's standpoint, uh, we are are very focused on the uh, the entire energy value chain. We are uh, continuously learning uh, new technologies, identifying new opportunities for um, research and uh, new needs within the uh, the sector. Um, And what scouting does is provide a a pivotal introduction to those new technologies, technology developers, so that as these technologies mature, EPRI um, is is better prepared uh, and able to to, um, socialize those technologies across the energy sector.
0: And Hyperloop is one of those.
1: Hyperloop is exactly (laughs) one of those uh, early stage technologies. Exactly.
0: And Watson, this is something that you've done a lot of research on being in electric tra- transportation. What is the basic definition of a hyperloop?
2: Well, you know, really at a high level, it's a new disruptive mode of transportation. Um, it's, it's something that doesn't exist today. It's, it's really a blend of uh, aircraft uh, aviation technologies, railroad technologies, and subway technologies. Um, and essentially what you're doing is, is you have a two- with a, a car in it and it's magnetically levitated and in a partial vacuum in a tube and it moves it um, you know, near 700 miles an hour.
0: And we were talking about that being, I mean, your supersonic speed. I mean, this is pretty incredible, uh, speed.
2: Y- yeah, no, that's the, that's the really, the disruptive part of it is, is because it, it moves freight and people around much faster than, than, um, a lot of the current approaches.
0: And I mentioned it's, but the idea has been around for a long time, dating back to freight trains. And when we were talking about this, you made some interesting comparisons to the freight train and some concepts in the Hyperloop. Can you talk a little bit about that?
2: Oh, sure. Yeah. So, um, you know, w- way back in uh, 1864 is actually a, in Crystal Palace in London. There was a, a pneumatic train. And, and so w- what this, this subway car was in a tube and it was pushed along by air. Um, and what they've learned since then now is is that if you create the vacuum, you can move these trains much faster through the these tubes, and 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 so that's that's where we are today. Is is getting, we've taken all this history behind trains and 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 used it. To these Hyperloop, the Hyperloop cars are going to be smaller um, compared to a train. It's a long train with maybe hundreds of cars or dozens of cars at least, and and these Hyperloop. Pods are going to be maybe carrying 40 passengers or so, plus or minus. So, so they'll be smaller, probably run more frequently than a f- freight train or a passenger train that runs more irregularly.
0: Steve, let's talk a little bit about what that means for the energy industry. We're talking about a lot of power, a lot of load, I would assume, to, to get a hyperloop running.
1: Uh, absolutely. But actually, what I'd like to, to kind of highlight are, you know, when I think about new and emerging technologies, it's always interesting to look at, you know, potentially the megatrends because you, you look at this technology and, and technology for the sake of technology is, is interesting, but there's not necessarily a place for it in the, uh, in the market. But if we think about it in terms of, of megatrends and a couple megatrends that, you know, the hyperloop, um, is, is certainly impacted by, we look at climate change and, and decarbonization. Um, you know, how do we move people uh, long distances? And today you can do that in 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 air travel. Um, and certainly one of the things that the scouting group is is looking at is electric aviation. Just based on the speeds that we've already talked about, this is becoming an interesting technology for, you know, ground travel. And uh because it's electric, because it it has some significant power requirements and I'm going to I'm going to let uh, Watson talk more about that here in a second. Um, it, it really positions itself as an interesting alternative. So, you know, if we think about trains, you know, they never they haven't necessarily been adopted here in the U.S. as or, or seen the success in adoption here in the U.S. Than, than what we've seen in in other areas of the world, Europe or Asia or, or whatnot. Um, that what's different here uh, is that you know, as uh, the population grows, and we are seeing urbanization as another uh, another megatrend. But as the population grows, cities become more and more, um, more and more populated. The, the advent of this kind of technology, thinking about that 700 plus mile per hour. And for those, uh, uh, in the EU, that's over 1200 kilometers per hour. <laughs> um, but just thinking about in terms of, of impact, you know, I can work in, in Chicago now, uh, but live in, you know, Cincinnati, right? I can, I can work in, in New York and live in oh, outside of Washington, DC. Um, so really, from a um, from a social standpoint, it really starts to change the game. Maybe I want to work in downtown New York, but but live in upstate New York. This provides a, a reasonable opportunity, a realistic opportunity to to do so.
0: What should utilities be thinking about today, and how close do you think we are to actually being able to to hop on a Hyperloop?
1: You know, as uh, as uh, Watson was mentioning, uh, the the technology is based on um, magnetics, um, and so from a From a a logistics standpoint or from an implementation standpoint, Um, we can follow the train type model, which has train stations or in this case, Hyperloop stations. Um, And in each case, uh, that's going to require a significant amount of power. I think I've heard in the neighborhood of, of 300 megawatts that that's a significant amount of power. So as a utility is looking at this kind of technology, trying to deliver that amount of power to a, a station is a, a significant challenge and something that they'll, you know, we, we need to figure out a way to address.
0: And Watson, what about when you get into rural areas, maybe there's not that existing infrastructure, how far ahead do utilities and the energy industry need to be thinking for this to actually become reality?
2: It's interesting because um, since the drag forces are so low with a hyperloop, they're essentially the, the pods are getting launched at these depots, and and this is where that 300 megawatts is coming from is at the, at these depots where you launch the, the vehicles, and then along the route there'll be much lower power requirements to support the magnetic levitation and to support the pneumatic uh, or the partial vacuum that's created. So and and some of the companies are even proposing putting solar panels or other means along those those routes prior to these linear right-of-ways to support those. But it really is at these launch sites where the big power requirements are. And And that's much different than trains. The Mm -hmm. trains, you have to have, you know, power substations along electrified railroads, you know, very regularly, you know, 40 miles, 20 miles kind of intervals.
0: And how far away do you think we are from actually seeing a hyperloop?
2: Well, some of these feasibility studies that have been done um, um, for some of the projects are talking about 15 years away from when somebody could ride in one. In some ways, for major capital projects, that's not that far away um, when you think about it because that, um, that, that, that turns into something real in, in a couple of years
0: and you mentioned there's a feasibility study happening between Kansas City and St. Louis. But I say you mentioned it when we were talking about doing yeah. this podcast, yeah. you mentioned it to me, which is an interesting location. Why those cities?
2: Why those cities and what they're trying to look for in, in these Hyperloop um, is they're trying to find a flat grade so that cars don't have to climb and, and ride down hills and then make turns, which all, the, all those things change the drag resistance and, along the route. And so, again, they're trying to launch the vehicles, have them essentially coast with a little bit of supplement from the maglev um, activity um, just to help them coast to the next station and then where they get launched again. Um, so, so that's why they went straight, flat. It's kind of like what they did with railroads throughout history. They always tried to find flat um, routes.
0: And when you think about the railroad now, we have this large interconnected network where you can get from coast to coast on a train. Do you see the Hyperloop reaching that? I don't know, Steve, do you want to address that one? It, is it just going to be Kansas City to St. Louis, New York to Boston, or are we going to have this much larger network, do you think?
1: That's a good question. I'm not sure I know the answer to that. Do you have an answer? Y- yeah. yeah. <laughs>
2: No, it it seems like most of the feasibility studies that have been looking at these Hyperloop tracks, because there's there's one being um, evaluated for Stockholm to Helsinki, and then there's um, uh, in Mumbai, India, there's a a project where there's an MOU one. They're talking about routes that are only in the hundreds of miles distances now. They're not talking about thousands of miles. I think that the, the notion that they're really talking about is building these hundreds of miles networks first, and then connecting them to within um, a larger network over time. So okay. that's how the, the growth is kind of envisioned for this today.
0: And if we're we're thinking 15, maybe conservatively 20 years <laughs> for these two to be online, what are some of the things that need to be happening today? What do we need to be thinking about? I mean, load is obviously one of them. What about infrastructure, regulation,
2: well, you, I, I'm going to take it to, to the highest level first to, to answer the question. Um, what's interesting to me is, is the transportation industry is really going through a disruptive process right now. Um, when you look at autonomy and electrification going on in the transportation industry, a lot of these questions about how do you deal from a person trying to get from point A to point B is being asked. And from logistics companies, whether they're moving their package from one place to another or people trying to go from one place to another. So this disruptive the things going on and the Hyperloop is part of that disruptive activity going on. The interesting thing, though, at the same time is the electric utility industry is kind of going through a, its own disruptive process. And in some ways, they're highly linked because electrification is is a, a large part of what's going to happen in the transportation industry. Um, the Hyperloop is electrified transportation. Um, high-speed rail is electrified transportation. And and so when you look at a lot of the electric aviation that's being considered and discussed um, from ABB and Boeing and other companies. Um, that are out there, and and marine electrification, all that really involves electrification. So it really demonstrates that the utilities have to think about how we're serving this new customer class that's coming forward.
1: The the mobility component, right? The mobility uh, customer class No, Exactly. So as we think about what the various models are for for that Hyperloop, and and actually from the point A to point B, as, as Watson was saying, you know, is there a the the shared economy in terms of connecting the automated driving, uh, electric vehicles uh, that takes them a good amount of of the way from where they where they are to a Hyperloop type station or an airport or whatnot, um, and then how to think about the rest of that journey? But it's a it, as Watson was saying, it's a different customer for the utility, right? We're not talking about energy now; we're talking potentially about mobility, um, and how to holistically think about how all of those pieces and and puzzles can fit together. Uh, It's just an interesting opportunity, interesting challenge.
0: It's one of the many interesting challenges (laughs) we're considering these days, right?
1: (laughs) Absolutely. We are not at a a loss of interesting challenges.
0: (laughs) What do you think is the most important aspect of a Hyperloop to be talking about or to be thinking about?
1: My standpoint is about demonstration, right? It's about de- developing and, and demonstrating the vision of what it is, what it could be, what it should be, and how it all integrates with just the broader ecosystem. And as I mentioned, it's about moving people around, but it's about moving people around um, in a culturally different way. No longer the norm of of individual, well, I can't say individual transport, which there still be a component of individual transport based on that last mile type methodology, but um, yeah you know, really, it's just a a different approach to the entire mobility aspect. It also then starts competing with aviation, right? so whereas today the only um, the only options for long distance travel are aviation this this can change that. and certainly that's not going to happen tomorrow, but you know, as the the technology develops, as the the vision demonstrates itself as the economics work out, um as you start you can actually think of it as a platform, right so it changes mobility for people. It changes mobility for um, packages, for freight, and, and, and whatnot. Um, and how does that impact the economics of the solution, in this case, the, uh, the Hyperloop? Um, and then I think it really becomes interesting to see what else can change.
0: Okay. And Watts, maybe I'll ask you the same question. What do you think is the most important thing to be considering?
2: I, I think it's, it's really important for EPRI and the utilities to be involved in, in activities like this during the formative stages of their development. In the electric transportation industry, EPRI and the utilities got involved with the automakers, um, and, and with the utilities on even something as basic as the connector standard for the electric vehicles that are out there. Now. So the more that EPRI and, and its utility members can participate in the formative stages of these things, they can be shaped in a way that work with the grid and the way the grid's evolving over time um, to take best advantage of the opportunity. So I think that's probably the number one thing because there is a mega trend going on around transportation and and the disruptive forces that are going on there around transportation. And, And so the more that we can be engaged in that in the formative stages, we can help shape it as opposed to being the recipient of what happens.
1: Just to add to that, I mean, it, it's difficult to just install 300 megawatts of power anywhere, right? So, I mean, that is the consideration. And then how do you maintain the, the power requirements over the uh, the duration of however long that hyperloop is, right? So, uh, as, I mean, Watson hit the nail on the head in terms of this is a system design approach to um, efficiently moving people, but within the within the structure of, of the energy uh, infrastructure. Um, and that certainly does not mean the infrastructure of yesterday and, and centralized generation and whatnot. There's certainly, as, as Watson outlined, a, a distributed energy component that, that really moves a, across the, the track. But there are challenges
0: abound. And let's put, <laughs> yeah, let's put 300 megawatts into perspective. That's, you know, maybe a couple of small modular reactors.
1: Um, and we're talking small modular reactors from a nuclear uh, standpoint. So they're about yeah 50 50 megawatts a pop so six six or so required at, at each station that is uh, about half of a, uh, a traditional natural gas plant facility very similar wh- whether it's coal or or whether it's natural gas getting into the the largest size of of a solar of solar farm.
0: What are some of the other cool things in the pipeline that your team has been researching?
1: I've, I've got an interesting position, so I'm able to, to dabble in quite a quite a bit. So um, certainly looking at superconductivity as well. That's a, a little ways out there, but there have been uh, some interesting developments uh, as of late. Uh, just this morning, I was uh, reading up on energy storage, uh, compressed air energy storage, and in, uh, injecting um, compressed air into the seabed. Uh, that one's, uh, don't quite, uh, don't quite understand that one yet. So uh, <laughs> needs a, a little bit more, a uh, little bit more research. And then, yeah, uh, actually talking about CRISPR. So there've been a, a lot of uh, negative news as of late, some uh, questionable experiments. But from an energy sector standpoint, that could change uh, the economics of biofuels. Um, so that may reinvigorate that conversation. So just uh, really a, a wide variety of, of technologies all across the, the ecosystem.
0: And Watson, what are some interesting things you're seeing in electric transportation?
2: Well, I, I think it's pretty exciting because it, now a lot of that, uh, modes of transportation being electrified that were never considered before. And it's really driven by the battery prices have, have dropped and the energy densities of the batteries are increasing. So now these things that were once never thought of are now becoming possible, like like electric aviation. You're seeing these eVTOL EV, um, uh, aircraft um, that are carrying passengers. Like that's amazing. Yeah,
1: just real quick, VTOL vertical takeoff and landing. Right? Yeah, so yeah. kind of like uh, <laughs> you know uh, um, urban uh, taxis where they do fly in. I know this this was the the vision of the Jetsons way back when. Mm-hmm. We're we're I think a little behind their forecast. But uh, you know, increasingly making uh, advances to that kind of that kind of uh, capability and
0: technology. Well, we were behind on the Back to the Future forecast of time travel by <laughs> well, what was the year? I know we passed it anyway. <laughs> yeah,
2: and, and, and a lot of these these technologies. It, it's it's great that we have a technology innovation group that can look at these things before they're in a program and where we're actually trying to. Um, deploy and do, do actually implementations and support those that, the research that, that for stuff in the ground. It, it's, it's great to have this technology innovation area that, that can look at these things, the forward-looking things.
0: Well, thank you so much. I think you guys have given me some great ideas for future podcasts on emerging technology, so I'm going to make a list. <laughs> great. Thanks, Amy. Appreciate it again. Thanks, Amy. All right. Thank you. Until next time, we're shaping the future of electricity.